Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will All right, friends, today is the day you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. If you're a middle-class family, here is a, uh, here's a headline for you. If you care about middle-class families, here's a headline for you. Three op- eye-opening statistics, uh, and I'm going to just read them to you because they're in the Wall Street Journal, which may be behind a paywall for many people, um, which, you know, if you're middle-class, you're not paying to get over. So there you go, or through. All right, so this explains how families or why families have to go deep into debt in order to stay in the middle class in America. Median household income in the United States was a little over $61,000 at the end of 2017. But when inflation is taken into account, that's a that's just above the 1999 level. And so um in those uh you know, in that period of time, um income's not rising at a sufficient rate to keep up with infa- inflation and the cost of living. Like, it's just not. So there you go. You're you're making more money, but you're not making enough more money than you were, let's say, in, in 1999 in order to account for just how much more expensive things have gotten. All right. So the average household or al- average housing price has also swelled. Now, this one is really staggering. 290% over the three decades uh, that we're talking about here. So if we're talking about, uh, and this is inflation-adjusted terms, okay? So if, if the cost of housing has gone up 300%, and, uh, and, and in terms of the money that we're making, it's only risen 14%, I mean, let me just tell you, that math does not work out. You have to go further or deeper into debt over a longer period of time um, and just to keep up with the cost of housing increase. Okay, and how about tuition? This one is really staggering as well. Um, average tuition at public four-year colleges went up 311 percent when when you adjust for inflation, while average per per capita personal health care expenses rose uh, more than 51 percent. Um, and and so, if you feel like you're squeezed financially, and you feel like, gosh, I I feel like I ought to not have to go into this kind of debt, or you are an older adult who doesn't understand why younger Americans are going so, into such deep debt, this is why. Um, we can't buy a $30,000 house in the suburbs anymore. It does not exist. Um, and so uh, let's, be, let's be aware that conversations about the economy, there's a, there is a reason why the economy is the number one concern uh, of people in America, particularly when we look toward uh, the 2020 election. There's a reason the economy is the number one concern, and it's because the economy affects everything. It affects the food we can afford to put on the table, the house we can afford to uh, to live in. It affects where we can afford to send our kids to school. Um, it affects it, it affects everything. It affects whether or not we choose to send our kids to college and if they go into debt when they go. So on and on and on. So if you hear conversations about health care and all of those conversations are not related to how great health care is in America, which it is – uh, they're all about the cost of health care, which is extraordinary. One of the things you're not going to hear is that, you know, the main driver of that is actually, I know we hear a lot about pharmaceutical companies and we hear a lot, uh, we hear a lot about insurance companies. We don't hear a lot 
about hospitals. Hospitals are actually the like primary driver of increasing health costs in America. We got to talk about that. Uh, we need hospitals. We have to have hospitals. If you live in a rural community, you know how far away the really good hospitals are. Um, and so all of those things, I think, are uh, are critical as you and I are having conversations about 2020 as Christians. How are we going to engage in those conversations? And it has to be a conversation about uh, about how it is that we and our neighbors are going to afford to live uh, just as middle just as middle income Americans, just as middle class Americans. Like, how are we going to do that? Hey, a special shout out today to our military families. I know that for military families, the big news today is that the United States is preparing to withdraw thousands of troops from Afghanistan um, in exchange for concessions from the Taliban. The fact that we reached an agreement with the Taliban just on the face of it is kind of extraordinary. Um, But for military families, this is um, really significant news. Uh, we're going to we're going to bring, you know, bring some of our folks home. And so that's really of critical importance as well. All right. There's tons of stuff out there happening in the news. I think we'll leave it right there because next up I've got Craig Von Busick. You remember him. He was on with us in February. Um, we're going to continue our conversation about his newest book, which is I Am Cyrus, because we want to talk about Israel. We want to talk about what's going on um, in our relationship with Israel and why we should care as Christians. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So, so Craig Von Busick is uh, a published author. He's the editor of content for inspiration.org, um, which is the website for Inspiration Ministries. Uh, he's also a contributing writer for CBN, the Christian Post, a bunch of other outlets. He's got a doctorate uh, in religious journalism, which is actually really, really cool. We could just talk about that. From Regent University, his newest book is I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel. Um, we we talked about it back in February. It examines the Zionist movement and the life of Harry Truman and how they came together at this really crucial point in history, really, you know, crucial partnership prior to the rebirth of the modern nation of Israel in 1948. And so um, a little a little history lesson, a little reminder here before Craig joins us. Um, so when we think about Israel, I know that as Christians, we, you know, our mind goes to the Bible. And I, I get that and I totally understand that. Israel is also a modern nation state. And it's a nation state that was formed in 1948. It was established um, by this, uh, you know, by this declaration. And so by this agreement, by this post-World War II agreement. And, and since then, I mean, no, it's not as if there hasn't been conflict, right, in this region forever. Like, we have read the Old Testament. We know that there has been conflict in this region forever. Uh, For those of you who were listening on Wednesday, for those of you who listened to the program on Wednesday, uh, I've been in an ongoing conversation, extended conversation with Bill English about uh, the life of David and the leadership lessons that we can learn from the life of David. We, We actually spent a couple of weeks talking about David and Goliath. If you want to, if you just want to know how far back these conversations go in terms of conflict in this region, uh, in terms of people groups, you like you know, read the Old Testament. So we are not talking about something that is new, but we are talking about it in um, in contemporary language and contemporary ways. And to help us do that, joining us now, Dr. Craig von Busick, um, author most recently of "I Am Cyrus." Craig, hey, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. 
Yeah, thanks for being here. So there's a lot of folks listening who are going to remember our conversation about the book from February, but there's going to be some people um, for whom this is a brand new conversation today. Um, and so let's uh, let's just start with why write a book about Zionism? Why write a book about um, the uh, the movement toward a nation state and the the role that Harry Truman played in that? Like why why undertake this um, most interesting? Uh, challenge. Well, I first heard the story when a friend gave me a cassette tape, so that tells you how long ago it was, uh, from a group called uh, uh, Friends of Israel. And it told the story about the rebirth of Israel and the part that President Truman and his Jewish business partner played in that whole uh, very controversial situation. Now, the, you have to go all the way back uh, to the Romans pushing the Jews out of that part of the world back in AD 70 uh, to realize that this has been going on for nearly 2,000 years. But what happened is that about 400 years ago, the Ottoman Turks, um, this was an empire run by the what is now the nation of Turkey, uh, they took control of that part of the world, and they really didn't care much about it. It was just another place to gather taxes, and so it fell into disrepair. The problem was that they wouldn't allow the Jews to come back in. The Jews had wanted to come back into that area since AD 70, and every year at uh, Passover during the Seder meal, the very last thing that they would say would be, next year in Jerusalem. So they wanted to get back in, but nobody would let them get back in until the Turks took over and uh, it fell into a wasteland. And so the Jews started kind of sneaking in <laughs> and they started to build uh, a, a homeland for themselves there. And it grew and it prospered to the point where um, they were promised by the British in World War One because the British were fighting against the Turks that if they won, they would give them back a homeland. Now, we as Bible-believing Christians, we all understand that this is a part of prophecy. And so it was interesting to me as a story of human nature and history, but as a believer, it was also very interesting to me to see how God used these really amazing circumstances to fulfill prophecy uh, that is, you know, thousands of years old. So, Craig, I find the whole thing fascinating. I mean, I, I I've been um, I've been to Israel and I have seen those pictures of what this land looked like that the Jews wanted to come back in and repossess. And let's just say uh, it it did not look like it looks today. I mean, this was this was literally a desert wasteland. There was nothing there. Right. Um, and, you know, and so who would want to build what we now know as Tel Aviv, right? Who who would who would look at this nasty piece of parched earth like and and say, oh, this this land is God's gift to us. And we are the people whom God has destined to live here. And God is going to make of it a garden and it's going to be a blessing to the rest of the world, which all of which has come true in a very, very exactly. short period of time. And it's really distinctive when you look at when you just like physically look at Israel and how productive it is and how uh, flourishing uh, it, it is. It, it, 
in relationship to or juxtaposed against all of its neighbors. It's really astonishing. Yeah. It's hard to deny. It's hard to deny that there's a hand of blessing on that land and its people. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a wonderful book called Israel Rising by Doug Hershey, and he takes uh, tours to Israel. And so he would take tours and and they would be shopping. And, you know, he had seen all these places a thousand times. So he was just standing there looking at old postcards and they were black and white photos. And he thought, that looks familiar. And he looked more closely and it was places that he would take tours to. But now it was lush with all kinds of vegetation, trees, uh, you know, people planting food and so forth. And so he wrote this book, and he literally took a photographer to all these different locations, and he put up the on the left side of the page in his book, it's the black and white photo that is desolate desert, and on the right side, it's the color photo that's filled with all this vegetation. And all that happened within the last hundred years. It's truly a remarkable miracle. Yeah, it's just, it is, it is, it's just really stunning. Let's, um, let's talk about the word uh, Zion or, or Zionist or Zionism. Tell us what we're talking about when we use those terms um, and the controversy that those terms raise today. Sure. Well, Mount Zion, of course, is one of the mountains in Jerusalem. And so that is where the name is taken from by uh, Jewish believers who uh, felt as though this was the land that God had given them, which we see throughout the Bible. In Genesis and Deuteronomy, you see where God says, I am promising to you, Abraham, and to your seed, to all the generations, this land. And so they, you know, when you look at history, you know that the Jews have been in that part of the world for more than 3,000 years. When you think about it, how many other nations can say that? Egypt, India, China, not many others. And so the people, the Jews, who were scattered, like I said, by the Romans and then kept out by the Byzantines and then by the Egyptian Turks, Saladin, and then by the, uh, or I'm sorry, the Egyptian Muslims, and then by the Ottoman Turks, throughout those 1,800 years, they longed to go back to their homeland. And you talked about the, um, you know, hey, the Craig. desolation. Craig, yeah. can... I'm I'm in super big trouble. You and I were supposed to take a break four minutes ago. So there's local oh, cutaways like ahead. waiting. I know, I know. So uh, hold that thought. Uh, we're going to get back to the conversation about Zionism here in just a minute with Craig Von Busick. We are talking about the book I Am Cyrus and other things. We'll be right back. All right, I'm back with Dr. Craig Von Busick. He is the author most recently of I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel. He's also written several other books, and you can find all of that at vonbusick.com. Craig, we were talking about Zionism, and so if we can just pick back up on that conversation, that would be great. Absolutely. Well, you had mentioned how desolate the land had become, and it's kind of like the concept of someone who owns their home versus someone who rents it. The people who lived in that area for 1,800 years kind of looked at it as a rental, and they just let it go to pot. Uh, whereas the Jews, they look at it as their home. And that is why within just 100 years, it's thriving. And the nation of Israel is making an impact scientifically, culturally, uh, politically in so many ways on the world. I mean, some of these breakthroughs that are happening in cancer and in robotic research, it's all coming out of Israel. And it's a really remarkable thing. And it all uh, kind of started to 
pick up speed in the 1800s, in the 1880s, what had happened is uh, the majority of Jews in the world at that time lived in Russia and Poland. And so the Russian Jews had been very oppressed by the czars. And in the 1880s, Tsar Alexander was assassinated. And unfortunately, one of the assassins uh, was a Jewish lady. And so the government used that as uh, you know, an excuse to, to persecute the Jews. And it was a terrible time of persecution. And finally, the Jewish intelligentsia, the leaders, they said, enough. This is enough. It's, it's time for us to find a safe haven. We've been scattered around the world. And later, David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel, said, we made the mistake of not defending ourselves. And so they realized that they needed a nation, just like every other people group in the world that has the same culture, language, primarily the same religion. Uh, those are those are groups that need a nation with borders that can protect themselves, and that was the beginning of Zionism. Ironically, uh, it was also the time, right exactly at the same time, that President Harry Truman was born, and the two groups came together years later when Truman was in the White House and had to decide what to do with the survivors of the Holocaust and what to do about Britain's broken promise of giving that part of the world back to the Jews. Craig Von Busick uh, is talking about, in part, his book, I Am Cyrus, and it is about the rebirth of Israel. Um, and we really we really are talking about, um, it, it, is, it is an extraordinary miracle. I mean, I, I, I don't, if you've been there, you know this. If you haven't been there um, and you have an opportunity to go to the Holy Land, let me just really encourage you to do so. Um, and, and Craig, I guess... Um, you know, maybe in the couple of minutes that we have left, um, inspire inspire listeners to dig more deeply into this conversation because I think that we give we we all assume that we all agree on matters related to Israel, and that's just not true. But how do we no, talk about these? Like, how do we talk about these issues in an environment where you know there's a lot of folks that are immediately going to say, "Well, we ought to be you know boycotting and divesting and sanctioning Israel because of their." Uh, you know, uh, of their treatment of certain people groups, you know, and on the flip side, we've got this, you know, mandate not only to pray for Jer- Jerusalem, but man, you know, these, this is the, we are the wild vine into which, uh, or, that has been engrafted into this native vine, like, right? So these are our people. So just how do we, exactly. how do we navigate those conversations? Well, the Apostle Paul said it perfectly. He said, as you alluded to there, he said that we, as Christians, as believers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we are grafted in to the tree, which is the original covenant that God made with Abraham and with natural Israel. Now, we know that uh, as believers in the Bible that we believe that Jesus is the Savior. However, God never rescinded that covenant that he had with the Jewish people. We don't know exactly how that's all going to work out. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the Bible says. Uh, We bless Israel, the Bible says very clearly, those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. And uh, Paul said it very – he gave a warning. He basically said, do not be caught up in pride. When you read that scripture there about being grafted into the root, he said, do not be caught up in pride, thinking that you are better than the tree that you're grafted into. 
And that is the big mistake that these people do in the BDS movement uh, with boycotting Israel, uh, people who say that uh, Israel is no longer in God's covenant, that that was usurped, um, that somehow there is this new type of covenant where God has rejected the Jews. That's absolutely unbiblical. And so that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book was to say, look, one of the best ways to show that God is real and that he is alive today is to tell the story of the Jews and how they were scattered to the winds, not once, but also when you look back at the Babylonian captivity, they were scattered to the winds. God brought them back twice, which is why this book is called I Am Cyrus, because in the first book or in the first scattering, it was Cyrus the king that said, Yahweh is a good God. You need to go back and you need to build, rebuild Israel. Well, in this case, the rabbi of, of Israel said to President Truman, uh, telling him thank you for what he did, he said, you are a modern-day Cyrus. And that's why the book is called I Am Cyrus. Amen. Hey, Craig Von Busick, thank you so much for joining us today. You guys can check it out at Von Busick, V-O-N-B-U-S-E-C-K dot com. The book is I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman and the Rebirth of Israel. Hey, thank you so much for coming back and joining us today. Thank you for the invitation, Carmen. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, friends, we'll be right back. Okay, so um, this is my last opportunity to give a little shout-out of thanks to Nat Becker, who's been running the boards this week. So, Nat, thank you. No problem. It's been a delight. Thank you. It's been a delight. I've learned so much from you this week. Um, while our uh, producer, Paul Perot, has been on his honeymoon, I've learned a lot from Nat. Um, I have learned about the loons. <laughs> I, I, right? I've learned a lot. I, I've, learned, um, I've learned a lot, so I really appreciate it. Hey, uh, one of the one of the great things about Faith Radio is its affiliation with the University of Northwestern St. Paul uh, and being a part of Northwest Media Group because it gives us access to students like Nat um, who are studying to do what we do every day here on the radio. That this is like what they're studying to do. They're studying to become a part of Christian media in a way that positively influences the culture. So you are a part of the Faith Radio listening community, and we rely on um, on contributions from listeners like you. So if you uh, have not yet become a part of the giving team, today's a great day to do that. Go to MyFaithRadio.com, click on the Donate Now button, uh, become a part of what's going on here in listener-supported radio. We'll be right back. Recently, I read a fascinating story about a mom who never left her son's side. Hi, I'm Mark Grigston with Parenting Today's Teens. Travis loved to jump from the swings at the playground because his mom was always there to catch him before he hit the ground. Then came the first day of kindergarten, and when it was time for recess, Travis climbed into the swing and took a big leap into the air. Only this time, Mommy wasn't around, so he fell and broke his arm. When Travis's mom got the phone call, she was absolutely furious and shouted, this whole thing happened because I wasn't there. His teacher replied, no, it happened because you were always there. Don't shield your teen from the consequences of their actions. The later they learn, the more painful the lesson will be. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
All right, so I've got Chris Martin on. Now, for some of the some of you listening right now, you're like, no way! She's got on the Major League Baseball player that the Braves just uh, acquired from the Texas Rangers. Others of you hear the name Chris Martin, and you say, no way! She's got the singer-songwriter on, and he's going to talk about, uh, I don't know, whether or not he's still dating somebody named Dakota Johnson, who I've never even heard of. Or um, or is he really, does she really have Chris Martin on? I thought Chris Martin was at Google's secret event in Sicily. But that's not the Chris Martin I have on. I have the Chris Martin from Lifeway, who is here to talk about all things social media. Chris Martin 17, in fact. Who are those Who are those other 16 Chris Martins? That's really, you and I should delve into that someday. Chris Martin, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Carmen. How do you like that as an introduction? I think that's great. I think that's a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad uh, that you're not going anywhere, but you're hanging out here with us today. Um, I want to start with I have I always have such a list of things to talk with you about uh, because I just save up all of my social media questions for you. Um, So let's talk about if we can. Let's lead off with how many adults in America actually engage, you know, like on different social media platforms, maybe maybe focus in on any one particular platform. Um, Help us understand, like where people are engaging in social media in terms of maybe just may, may start with Facebook. Yeah, sure. So so Facebook is often seen as the most popular social media platform in the world. And in one respect, it is um, because uh, how it isn't, how Facebook isn't the most popular social media platform in the world is technically just from a very sort of technical standpoint, YouTube is a social media platform. It's a place where people share media with one another. And YouTube technically is used by more Americans than and more people around the world than Facebook even is. Um, It's used by 73% of Americans uh, at some point in a given month, uh, whereas Facebook is used by 69% of Americans at some point in a given month. And so YouTube is technically bigger than Facebook. But most of us don't think of YouTube as a social media platform. We're not updating statuses there. You know, we're most of us go to YouTube to consume content that other people create. Uh, rather than create content for other people to see. Whereas on Facebook, most of us, uh, that's what we do on YouTube. On Most of us on Facebook are creating content as well as consuming and interacting with content others create. So uh, most of us don't think of YouTube as a social media platform because it tends to be pretty one way. Whereas Facebook tends to be much more of a two-way platform where we're messaging with people or posting on each other's walls or just posting statuses and commenting on others. Um, some usage statistics on Facebook came out earlier this uh, this spring, actually, and I just don't I don't know if we ever talked about them, and I think they're really interesting. Facebook is used; um, it is bigger than YouTube in the sense that it's used by a higher percentage of Americans every day uh, than YouTube is. So, seventy four percent of Americans use Facebook at least once a day. Fifty one percent of Americans say they use it several times a day, 23 percent once per day and 26 percent less often than once per day. Uh, in second place is Instagram, which is also owned by Facebook, uh, acquired for a billion dollars a few years ago. Uh, Facebook is used, like I said, 74 percent uh, by 74 percent of Americans once per day. Instagram is 63 percent of Americans use it once per day. Snapchat, 61. YouTube, 51 Twitter 42. So Twitter of the five biggest social media platforms, Twitter is used uh, the least daily by Americans. So Facebook is is far and away kind of the most frequently used, but it's not the most popular among young people. Snapchat and Instagram are the most popular among young people. 73% of 
Americans age 18 to 24 have used Snapchat at some point. 75% of Americans age 18 to 24 have used Instagram. So whereas maybe a few years ago, Snapchat, you know, you as as recently as maybe 2017, Snapchat was probably the most popular and Instagram um, maybe, maybe came in a close second behind Snapchat. Snapchat has actually lagged a little bit behind Instagram when Facebook acquired Instagram and introduced like Instagram stories and a couple other couple of other features, they really started to eat into Snapchat's attention and sort of market share, as it were. And so Snapchat has started to lag a little bit. But even among the students I lead in the student ministry that I lead, um, Snapchat is probably still their primary uh, one-to-one uh, messaging platform. And Instagram is still a place where, yeah, they'll send stuff back and forth to people. But that's more of their Instagram is the Facebook of young people. Basically, Instagram is where people post things publicly to be consumed publicly, whereas Snapchat is what they use more as a messaging service. And then Facebook is used by their older brothers and sisters or parents and grandparents. Which is why Facebook acquired Instagram, right? I mean, wanted to be generationally relevant. Yeah. Hey, um, And and they tried to acquire Snapchat. <laughs> so when um we, we got to take a quick break when we come back um i had a conversation with my 14 year old uh 15 year old now nephew um yesterday i told him uh that i was going to have a conversation with you today and um that we were going to talk about mixer and so i asked him did he already know what mixer was and he's like yes <laughs> so i felt instantly shamed um because i i didn't know what mixer was and there's probably a lot of people listening don't know what twitch is and don't know why you and I um, or anybody else would care that other people are playing video games and that we can watch them play video games and that they make crazy money when people watch them playing video games. So um, when we come back, Chris Martin is going to explain what Mixer is and why we need to know what it is and why it matters. And maybe we would even get to talk about what is a week like in the life of uh, a popular YouTube channel? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. I'm continuing my conversation with Chris Martin. Here is the sequence of events. I learned about Fortnite from a YouTube video that Russell Moore, the uh, head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church, posted on his YouTube channel. Now, there's a sentence my grandmother would have never even understood. Here's another one. Fortnite superstar Tyler Ninja Blevins is ending his hugely profitable partnership with Amazon-owned Twitch, taking his video game live streams to Microsoft's Mixer platform, and within 40 minutes of that announcement by the Associated Press, Mixer was the top trending topic on Twitter. So in all of that, we've got Fortnite, we've got Ninja, we've got uh, Amazon-owned Twitch, we've got video game live streams, we've got Microsoft's Mixer platform, Um, And then we've got a trending topic on Twitter. Now, if you want a social media story to explain, I I just really couldn't find a better one. So, Chris Martin, I'm just going to reduce it all down to this. What is Mixer and why should we care? Yeah, there's like you just said, there's so much to explain here, and I'm going to try to do it and then also try to explain why it even matters in a matter of about five minutes. So um, Twitch, let's start with Twitch and Ninja. Twitch is a is a video streaming platform, much like YouTube, for instance. But YouTube is less popular for live streaming and more popular for pre-recorded content that's heavily edited and uploaded to YouTube. Um, Twitch is 
a video hosting platform that's 100% live video rather than pre-recorded video. And the content of Twitch video is the the people who are live streaming there. There are about 1.5 million people live stream on Twitch. Um, 99% of those videos are people live streaming themselves playing a video game of some sort. And the other 1% is people just like live streaming and having a conversation with the people who show up in their chat room. And just like, sometimes they're like hosting a podcast or just like a Q and a or something like that. So Twitch is a video game streaming platform owned by Amazon. They, Amazon bought it a number of years ago for a billion dollars. And so, um, Video game streaming has been an industry for a long time, long, uh, long kind of scoffed at. But someone like Tyler Blevins, who goes by the nickname Ninja, who got really popular playing Halo 10 years ago professionally and, and for hundreds of thousands of dollars in prize winnings at tournaments, um, exploded on Twitch this past year in, in 2018. He exploded. He played with a couple of really famous musicians like the rapper Drake and was having – Concurrently, people watching his channel live at once, uh, 250 to 300,000 people watching him live play Fortnite, which was not only a video game, but and we've talked about Fortnite before, so we won't rehash all of that, but a video game that became a cultural phenomenon. It's free to play. You can play it on any device from a computer to a video game console to a smartphone, and it's free outside of buying cosmetic items in the game. And so it's a Fortnite was a cultural phenomenon that somebody who has a has a bubbly, fun, magnetic personality in Tyler Ninja Blevins, um, 28-year-old kid living outside Chicago, uh, he used that game and the Twitch platform to become one of the most prolific content creators on the internet today, um, making multiple millions of dollars a month through his brand deals or his Twitch partnership because it's like a contract you have with the platform to play exclusively on that platform, much like a news uh, a news person, uh, you know, the person who hosts NBC Nightly News would have a contract to uh, to street to to deliver the news only on that platform ninja's not an employee of twitch like that person would be but he had a deal a contract to only stream on twitch well this week and twitch has 1.5 million people it's it is the only platform that anyone cares about when it comes to video game streaming if you're streaming anywhere else you're pretty much irrelevant well mixer is Twitch, but it's owned by Microsoft, not Amazon. And instead of 1.5 million people streaming there with some regularity, it only has 69,000 people. So 69,000 people compared to 1.5 million. Ninja's contract with Twitch came up this year, and I'm guessing there were lengthy negotiations with multiple platforms, and Mixer, being owned by Microsoft, almost surely gave him a seven or eight figure contract for who I, nobody knows what the terms are or how long it is to play his video games on Mixer instead of on Twitch. And that's a huge deal. It's like the biggest athlete in the world leaving the best team in the world and going to a team that people make fun of. Um, and it's a, it's a huge deal. It's a, it's a huge industry. I mean, he's about to play Ninja is about to play his first ever stream on Mixer this afternoon at 3 o'clock Central, maybe 2 o'clock Central. It'll be his first ever stream on Mixer. It's going to be on stage at Lollapalooza in Chicago, which is a massive music festival this weekend in Chicago. And he's going to be playing a duo tournament, so him and one teammate, on Friday Fortnite, which is like a tournament that happens every Friday during the summer. And his duo teammate is 16-year-old kid from... 
Pennsylvania, who this past weekend was crowned the best Fortnite, best solo Fortnite player in the world, and a 16-year-old kid won $3 million in a tournament in New York City at the Arthur Ashe Stadium where they play the U.S. Open for tennis. Uh, they're playing together in Ninja's first stream on Mixer this afternoon on stage at Lollapalooza, one of the biggest music venues and concerts in the country. Um, Mixer, the, the biggest streamer on Mixer yesterday was had about 3,000 viewers at one time. Ninja will probably have 150,000 plus this afternoon. So um, I know there's people listening right now. They're like, why are Chris and Carmen talking about this? But the reason that we're talking about this is because if we as Christians want to actually understand what's happening in the culture and we want to understand the movement of the culture and the direction of eyeballs and hearts and minds and time, we've got to understand kids who are playing Fortnite six hours a day now uh, in the spirit of training to be eSport um, competitors in, in the way that this young man from Pennsylvania, uh, the 16-year-old, is now, you know, he's, he's got $3 million in his pocket, and now he's probably uh, under contract to play in public in front of other people in much the same way that Ninja plays in public in front of other people. This is now um, professional sporting. And there's a reason that we're talking about it. If we're going to talk about 1.5 million people, let's say, we're actually talking about more than the number of Presbyterians uh, in the country in terms of the old mainline denomination. It's certainly more than the Episcopalians. Like, right? So if we're going to spend time talking about what's happening in denominations across the country, you know, because we think that they are cultural influencers, we ought also be talking about culturally influential people who have a lot of eyeballs on them all the time like this guy named Ninja who's playing a video game in front of other people. He is a he is a profound cultural influencer. If Ninja decides to turn and make political statements, trust me when I tell you people are going to be paying attention. And so when when Chris and I are having these conversations about things that you're not sure are relevant on Christian radio, we're actually trying to provoke you to consider that um, where people spend their time today, which is by and large, as you know, if we're going to talk about emerging generations, it's more and more. It's increasingly online in front of screens on these kinds of platforms. And so we feel like you not only need to know, maybe you need to cultivate what would it look like for that to become a mission field? What would it look like for Mixer to become a mission field or Twitch to become a mission field or Fortnite to become a mission field? I don't even know what that would look like or what that would mean. I know there's a guy that uh, plays Minecraft as a mission field. So uh, maybe that's a, just a way that we could cultivate the conversation in the future. Chris Martin, it's always great to talk with you. We love what you're doing at LifeWayVoices.com. Hey, if you guys have not been to LifeWayVoices.com recently, the website is really tremendous. There's a ton of really great resources on there. Um, there is, there, It's relevant. It's current. It's uh, spiritually edifying. There's all kinds of really great voices on there, thus the name, LifeWayVoices.com. You can find Chris Martin on Twitter which I now know is the least relevant of all the platforms, but it's the one where I am too. It, but he's Chris Martin 17, and someday he's going to tell us who those other 16 Chris Martins are. How's that, Chris? That sounds great. Thanks for having hey, me, Carmen. We love having you on. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, friends, um, our time is up today. Our time is up this week. Uh, your time is not up to go out and culturally influence the culture in the name of Jesus, do so on every platform that God gives you. 
uh, do so uh, bringing the word of God to bear in every conversation, even conversations about weird stuff like Twitch and Twitter. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.